So, <clears throat> you are going to um, get to see something that has never been done before. <clears throat> I have never used this much technology in trying to preach before. I am in so much trouble. Um, things are trying. There we go. So we are in Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 through 29 this morning. And uh, if you are using one of the Pew Bibles, it's page 1029 is where you'll find this. Again, in the Pew Bibles, that's page 1029. And it's Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. Let's start by reading this passage and hearing what Christ has to say to the church at Thyatira. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat foods sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of, the, of her works. I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what, what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Would you join me in a quick word of prayer as we start this morning? Gracious Heavenly Lord, Father, we are here this morning, I hope, not just because it's Sunday morning, but because you are worthy of our worship. There is no one like you. You are holy, and we are not. You are sinless, and we are far from that. You, Lord, are gracious. And those who are your children, Lord, try to practice that same grace. We do it imperfectly. We do all things imperfectly, Lord, because we are sinners. But if we have known the power of your Son, if we have experienced who he is, and Lord, if we believe that his work finished everything on the cross, then Lord, we can be called the Son of the Most High we can be adopted into your family. Lord, you are gracious to us. Help us, Lord, to extend that grace to others that they might know you through the imperfect picture that we present of your Son. 
Father, we pray for your help this this morning. We pray that, Lord, you would help us to ignore the, the distractions of this world and to give you this morning the focus that you so richly deserve. Thank you, Father. Amen. Well, as you, as you see here, we are in the church of Thyatira. You heard me say that already. And um, Thyatira is the hometown of Lydia. If you have, are familiar with, at all with the book of Acts, you'll know that in, in chapter 16 of the book of Acts that, um, that Paul met Lydia uh, as he was going out on that trip uh, they were they were traveling, and as they as as Paul was wont to do, he was looking for a a synagogue in which to to teach that morning, and realized that the town in which he was in had no synagogue. He was looking for a place to where he could share the word, and so he went out and uh, alongside of the river of the town that he was in, and found a group of people, a group of ladies who were seeking to pray, and he sat down with them and and told them. And Lydia came to, came to salvation that day. Lydia was, was from the city of Thyatira. She was a seller of purple. As a kid, I remember thinking, that's such a weird thing. How can you sell a color? I just, I didn't understand that for the longest time. I think I was 31 or 32 when it first happened that I understood it. But, but Lydia was this, this woman who when she came to the Lord, she made sure that everyone in her household heard what it was that, that she had heard, that, that they came to, to, to know, at least as much as she could, who, who the Lord is. And there is, therefore, no doubt in my mind that when Lydia went back home to Thyatira, she took that same truth with her, and she told it to whoever she could. And so we see this church in Thyatira probably as a result of her teaching, sharing the word, letting people know what had happened and what she had understood. And so she, she continues to, continued to just spread this truth. A little bit of that is conjecture on my part. We don't really have history written down that says this is what she did. But you can tell from that passage in Acts that she was affected by the truth that she heard. And you see in that passage in Acts that she, she was intentional about sharing that truth. Well, when, you get to, when we get to Revelation, we, we see that the Lord is, is want to share his truth with that church. And you see it there at the beginning in chapter, in chapter 2, verse 18, where, where Christ addresses this letter to the church in Thyatira. It's, um, you, you may wonder why it is that, that these churches were being addressed this way, but if you, if you take a look at this map that's up here on the, on the, the screen, the, uh, the circle that's out here in the middle of the dark area is the Isle of Patmos, where John wrote this letter. And then you see that the first circle is Ephesus, and then you can work your way counterclockwise around those dots, and you go Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And there is a lot of, commentator, a lot of commentators talk about why these seven churches and, and why were these the only seven churches that were mentioned. Because there were other churches 
that existed throughout Asia Minor and, and throughout the rest of the world. So why would John write to these seven churches? Part of it is I think that it was just an easy route for, for somebody carrying a letter to take it to all these churches. But I think part of it is just the fact that Jesus told John to write to these seven churches. And he gave the truth that he wanted those seven churches to hear. And so when John wrote this, he wrote it to these seven churches, yes. But God wrote it and just handed it to John to to extend out. So you see then in in verse 18, the second part of this, that, that Jesus tells John to write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. This is one of the few times in the book of Revelation where Jesus really refers to himself as the Son of God. It does happen in other places, but Jesus here speaks of his deity, which is important for the church at Thyatira to understand because Thyatira had problems that we're going to look at further in a moment. And part of, their, their, part of the remedy for their problem was understanding that Christ is God, that he is the son of God, not just the son of man, which is, is the the title that Jesus most of the time used of himself when he was on earth. He, he usually only referred to himself as the son of man, but here he refers to himself as the son of God. And he describes himself as having eyes like a flame of fire and words and, and feet of burnished bronze. And I found it interesting that as I was reading through that, if you turn to Daniel chapter 10, verse 6, Daniel, in describing this man that came to him in a dream, described him as his body was like barrel, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. You remember back in, hopefully in chapter 1, that when John was first being given this vision, well, that didn't work. My, my program is skipping through Bibles at the moment. Give me a second. Um, you see that, that John heard this loud voice behind him. Well, that's part of what Daniel describes here is that, that words that sound like a multitude. But you also see in Daniel, and you see it here in Revelation 2, 18, this description that really matches Daniel's description with Revelation. And I think part of that is in the ESV, uh, when, when they translated the Daniel passage, at the top of that passage, they, the ESV translators described that as Daniel's terrifying vision of a man. And I think that some of the translators worry whether or not this vision in Daniel chapter 6 is of Christ or if it's just of an angel. And there are other commentators who make the same comment, but there, there are some commentators, and I, I tend to believe them, that this picture that Daniel presents in Daniel chapter 10 is of Christ. Because the, the description of this man who Daniel saw so clearly matches the description that Christ gives of himself in Revelation 2.18. So the person of Christ 
is, is where we start with that, and that his eyes are like a flame of fire. Now, I don't really know what that looks like. I can't imagine that. There, part of me in my head was thinking about horror movies and different images, and I was like, ooh, I don't want to even go down that road. But that picture of Christ having these eyes of fire, it's kind of a penetrating fire. It's a refining fire. And that's part of what Christ wanted to present of himself to the church at Thyatira. But what, you, what we really need to understand is that this person, this, this Christ that John saw, that he is describing, is Jesus. And this Jesus is a judging Lord. And I forgot to zip through all those things together with you guys. The person of Christ has eyes like a flame of fire and Jesus is a judging Lord. But Jesus doesn't just describe himself to John. He does much more than that. He, um, he gives words of, of, he gives good words to Thyatira. And these good words to Thyatira, you read that there in verse 19. I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. That's why that looked weird. And that your, later, your latter works are greater than your first. I wanted to look real quick at those words that Jesus describes, of Thyatira, that he uses to describe Thyatira in their works. He says, I know your works. And the word works there is, I'm a physics guy, if you didn't know this. The, the word works there is the same word that we get for a unit of work in physics called an erg. It's an erg, it, the word is ergon, and it means a toil or a deed. He, Jesus is describing the things that, Thyatira, that Thyatirans did as a church. And he says, I know your works and your love. And the word love there is the word agape, the word for affection and benevolence and, and loving kindness in, in some ways. And he describes that as being works of faith and service and patient endurance. But the word faith there, uh, as, I, as I looked that up and was trying to make sure that I understood that, is defined as being, the word faith is, being def is defined as being especially a reliance upon Christ for salvation. And so Christ says, I know your works and your faith the reliance upon him for salvation and your service, which is the word diakonia in, in Greek. don't know why I know that, but I did. Which, if you've ever talked about a group of deacons and the work that they do, the office of deacon is described as being diaconate in English. So the word deacon is related to this work of service. Because service, as it's defined here, is especially the service of a Christian teacher or a deacon in helping and serving one another. And, and Christ says not only about their, their faith and their service, but he talks about their patient endurance, which 
I don't know about you, I've waited many times in my life and I describe myself as being patient. And when I stop and realize that I'm not always really patient when I'm waiting, when I'm portraying patience to other people, your flight was delayed. Were you patient? Yeah, you you sat and waited. What else are you going to do? But are we cheerful when we have to wait? Which the patient endurance here is cheerful or hopeful endurance. The idea that not only are you waiting, but in your waiting, you are, you are portraying and it's registering to others that, you are, that you're trying to be cheerful, that you are enjoying the moment, even if it's not what you wanted to be doing at that, at that time. And so all of these terms really speak of Thyatira's, Thyatira's obedience they are a true approval of Christ, from Christ, of who they are. It is, akin, it is very much akin to that statement that Jesus uses oftentimes in the New Testament of, well done, my good and faithful servant. Those, that, that verse really is kind of a summation of all of that. As, as Jesus tells them, you have done all the things that I really wanted you to do. But he goes on and says, and he, and he continues on with that and says, I know that your latter works exceed the first. He says, not only did you start this way, but you improved that way. You didn't just let it sit once and have it done once. You continued to improve on those characteristics that I, that I just told you were good. In other words, it shows that Thyatira didn't just have a one-time response, but a continuing growth. And Christ extols the direction of their growth. And Christ commended their actions. Christ commended their actions. But Christ also had hard words for Thyatira. Of the church of Thyatira... Jesus had told them that they had done these, these things and they had done them well in verse 19. But, he says, I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel. Tolerate, there is, we all, we, most of us understand what this word means. It means to, to allow or to permit something or to let something go on and you just leave it alone. There are times in my, in my classroom at school where I've got kids who are supposed to be working on something and I look around and there's this kid over in the corner who's doing something, but it's not really what I wanted them to be doing. But he's, he's doing something that's going to help him later on. And it may not be what I want him to do, so I tolerate what he's doing. In other words, I leave it alone because he's doing something that will help him. And, and in this case, Jesus says... I you tolerate this woman Jezebel. It's not that he's saying that this is a good thing that they tolerate, because it's not. They were, they were being criticized not for active participation in what she was doing. They were being criticized for just letting it happen among them. Their sin was an ease with this sin of Jezebel. It wasn't that they were standing around cheering her on. It wasn't that they were standing around going, okay, we'll let you do it. It was just that they, they looked at it and went, eh, and they moved on with what they were doing. They knew it was wrong, and yet they, 
just let it go on around them. In other words, Christ didn't like Thyatira's, Thyatira's tolerance of what was going on around them. And there was a big part of me that as I was studying for this, I was wondering, okay, what am I going to do with, with understanding Jezebel and trying to, to share with that? And I kind of settled on the idea that I wanted to look at historically who was Jezebel. And so when, when Jesus talks about them tolerating that woman Jezebel, I want you to understand, I don't think that there was a woman, there was not necessarily a woman in Thyatira named Jezebel of which Jesus was talking here specifically. He was talking of the sin going on around them that could be characterized as being like Jezebel in the Old Testament. And if you look at um, Jezebel in the Old Testament, you'll find out that she is described as being a false prophetess. And, and in fact, Jezebel is described by modern-day commentators as being the most evil female personage appearing in the Old Testament. I don't know about you, but there are many ways I would like to be described. The most evil personage in the Bible or in an area is not really a term that I would like to use, use to describe me. And why would, why would people say that she was such an evil person? Well, first of all, she promoted Baal worship, uh, witchcraft and spiritual adultery. She, she was the, the wife of the king, I'm not even going to try to remember which king it is because I don't remember. I'm horrible with names. If you don't know me well enough at, at, the, at this point to know this, I am horrible with names. And Wendy and I have been married 22 and, year, 22 and a half years, and I've only forgotten her name once. <laughs> Just once. <clears throat> um, she fixed that. She, she wouldn't let me do that again. So um, thank you, sweetheart. <laughs> but... She, she, Jezebel was, was this, this person who, she was the wife of the king, and he allowed in the, the, the nation for the people to have kind of a bad worship of, Christ, of God. Um, he just allowed them to worship falsely. Jezebel wasn't content with that, though. She not only was okay with people worshiping God wrongly, she brought in other gods for the, the Israelites to worship. And she, in, she inspired not just bad worship, but false worship and false gods. Not only did she promote this other Baal worship and witchcraft, she actively tried to kill God's prophets. And she supported 450 prophets of Baal, and 400 prophets of Asherah at her own royal dining table. Jezebel was not just content with poor worship of God, as her husband was, was wont to do, but she sought to worship other gods. And Jezebel is denounced for her actions, but also for her false teachings. So historically, that's who Jezebel was, and then literally in this, in this city of Thyatira, they were being induced to serving other gods. They were being induced to practice, practice sexual immorality, and they were being seduced into eating foods sacrificed to idols. Well, that's very much a description of who Jezebel 
historically was. Jezebel was in, in, in Thyatira here then, is given time to repent. You can see that in verse, um, I gotta see this here, in, in verse 20. He says that, sorry, it's not. It's in verse 21. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Talking about the people in, in Thyatira, they were given a chance to step away from this and return to God, but they were not necessarily. And so Christ says that he's going to throw this Jezebel into a, onto a sickbed, but even in the midst of this, he says, Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of their works. That, to me, is one of the most amazing parts of this whole passage, is that Christ described this sin of the people of Thyatira, and he says, I'm, gonna, I'm going to destroy them unless they repent of their works. In other words, how far down that line of sin do you have to be before you're beyond Christ offering you repentance? In other words... Christ, I went the wrong direction. That's why that didn't work. Christ condemned their unfaithfulness. He was calling them back to repentance, but he condemned their faithfulness. But Christ also had a warning to Thyatira. He told them that unless they repent of their works, and what that means then is, they're being called to repentance. God is telling them that they need to repent and, and to turn back to him. Even in the midst of the description of Jezebel's sin, mercy is offered to them if they'll return to him. The church is told, only hold fast. And I, I did a little bit of a, a dig throughout the New Testament, places where you find those, those words together, hold fast. And I found two different places in the book of Hebrews. One is in Hebrews 4.14, where it says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. And the other one is Hebrews 10.23, where it says, Let us hold fast, fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. The idea is that we are not to abandon what, what we know to be true for that which sounds good. When you have a choice between two things, one that you know is, to be, is, good, is true and it's real and it's, it's the right thing to do, and another is just sounds good, we should always go with what is true. So the church here is warned to repent of, the, of their actions and this idea of holding fast is that the church is not to abandon what they know was true for that which sounds good. So Christ counseled Thyatira to be faithful and devoted to him. But Christ cautioned Thyatira 
the caution here is that, that Christ says, these are the things that are going to happen if, we do, if you don't change your ways. And, and he talks about the death of the children of Jezebel. Now, Jezebel is not a real woman, in my understanding, in the city of Thyatira. She is someone working like Jezebel was in the Old Testament. So to say that, that, that God is going to kill the children of Thyatira sounds really harsh. But I want you to understand that even in that, there is great mercy. Because if they were saved from the tyranny of her reign by dying and going to heaven, if they were true believers, then there is mercy in that. The children of Jezebel would be those who followed in this idolatry and false worship, and by letting them continue, that would draw other people into that same sin. And, and Christ is telling, telling the city of Thyatira that, this, that by, by killing these children, the death of, Je, of Jezebel's children, he's, he's saving the city. He's saving the church that, that is dependent on him and devoted to him. It's a warning to the churches of the judgment of this spiritual adultery. And if you want to talk to me later about what all that means, please feel free to. I will point you to Steve and say, Steve, I'll let you talk about this. It's one of the nice things about being a, about preaching on a Sunday morning as opposed to being a pastor. Preaching on a Sunday morning, it stops. Pastor, when do you get your days off? <laughs> they don't happen often enough, I know. So there is this warning to the churches of the judgment for their spiritual adultery. But I want you to understand here that when you look at this verse 23, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. I will give to each of you according to your works. What are your works worth? What are your works worth? When it comes to eternity, when it comes to being saved from hell, what are your works worth? Because the, the second question here that I would want to ask is, would you rather be judged for your works or for the works of Christ? That really is the point, I think, of this, of this passage. In many ways, it's this idea that you can depend on your works or you can depend on the works of Christ, which is better. In other words, Jesus cautioned Thyatira that the penalty for their sin was death. But then there's this covenant with the overcomer. This is the last three verses here, or four verses of this passage, where Christ says, The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule over them with a rod of iron. 
And when, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. Jesus tells them that he will give authority over the nations. And what that means is when he gives us authority over the nations, that we will rule with him with a rod of iron. In other words, Thyatira's authority over the nations will be complete because Christ is talking prophetically of what will be in the future still. This picture, this pictures the fact that we will rule with him as, as Paul wrote to, second, to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.12, if we endure, we will also reign with him. But John goes on and writes, as, as Christ is telling him to, that, he will, that Christ will give the morning star. And if you, turn to, if you were to turn to 2 Peter 1.19, you would see this, this verse that says, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns, and the morning star rises in, in your hearts. So when, when Jesus says that he will give the morning star, this may not be fully clear to everybody what that means. But if you turn to Revelation twenty two sixteen, Jesus makes it very clear what this is all about. Because in Revelation twenty two sixteen, he says, I, Jesus have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. So when Jesus says that he's going to give us authority over the nations, it's because he's going to give us himself, and we are going to rule with him. So Jesus covenanted or promised that we will rule with him. And I, I, this question just it kept hitting me over the course of prep preparing for this this morning. Would you rather be judged for your works or for the works of Christ? It's an easy question to answer. I think anybody who has paid attention at all in their life and has heard these things, if you believe any of it, you go, oh, Christ's work is complete, it's finished. My work is as filthy rags. I would rather trust in Christ's finished works than on my, on my own. But this is a letter to Thyatira, which also is a letter to us. There are those of us who say that the seven churches are symbols of the universal church, of which Rock Valley Bible Church is, is but a part today and throughout time. If, if, you, if that it sounds cryptic to you, there's a reason for that, it's kind of weird there there are as you as you spend a lot of time in the book of revelation there are lots of commentators who talk about the seven cities representing the church through the age through the ages since Christ left and until he comes back and and they say that each of these seven cities represents a different time period is that true i don't know i just know that there are letters written to thyatira and they apply to me this letter applies to me. 
because part of what Christ tells, tells me is that I am to be true to him, that I am to be faithful to him. There are those who would say that these churches represent the era of the church and that each shows the failures and the strengths through the ages. Nonetheless, each of these letters is for us, for you and for me. God desires and demands our full and complete worship. He is a jealous God who alone deserves our worship. I asked the question earlier, what are your works worth? Stop a minute and think about that. What are your works worth? James 2.10 says that whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable to all of it. Have you ever failed to keep the law? Have you ever failed to keep even one of the Ten Commandments? There is only one punishment for transgressing the law, and that is death. The penalty, that penalty for sin, was paid for by the work of Christ on the cross of Calvary. So would you rather be judged for your works or for the work of Christ? But we're all good Christians here. We are devoted to living a life... devoted to our Savior. But when we wink and nod at the the idolatry of our age, we endanger ourselves and and may be condemning those around us to that sickbed and tribulation of which John wrote. We have an obligation to be lights in this dark world. Who else will those who don't know, how else will those who don't know come to him? unless those who know him tell them. You have a a responsibility to talk to those around you who do not know Christ and tell them who he is. What's the penalty? What's the punishment for them not trusting Christ? What's the penalty? What's the punishment for you not trusting Christ? All of that to say, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Thank you, Father, for your word, for your truth, for your love for us. We are sinners, saved by grace if we know you through your Son, but we are sinners. Father, help us to live a life in front of the world in such a way that, that they know we belong to you and so that they know who to go to when they have questions about whether their works are good enough. Everyone asks that question at some point. Are my works enough? All of us, Lord, have ingrained in us through, through your work, your law on our heart. We know what is good and bad, what is right and wrong, though we suppress some of that truth sometimes. And those who do not know you, Lord, suppress that truth as much as they can. But yet they still ask the question, are my works enough? Father, help us to be loving to those who ask. 
Help us to not be hypocrites and, or to, to, to be seen as hypocrites in their eyes. Help us to live out a life that shows them what devotion to you means. <coughs> Father, we ask this and, and so much more in the name of your Son. Amen.